0: G'day, Darren Mitchell here, and welcome back to another episode of the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. So great to have you on board. Another pre-interview introduction. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Rachel Cosser, the CEO and co-founder of Virtual Sapiens, which is a machine learning SaaS platform helping client-facing professionals master communication skills over video. If there's one thing that I do know working in the sales leadership game is that our communication is absolutely pivotal to our ability to influence not just internal key stakeholders, but specifically external key stakeholders. So in this particular episode, Rachel and I talk about all things nonverbal. We touch on her background as a professional ballet dancer and how we have to create nonverbal cues and nonverbal ways of communicating a message and how we translate that into the business world through the use of video. So it's a fantastic conversation all about the leadership presence. And if you as a leader and certainly as a sales leader are looking to increase your influence, particularly over video, because video is more and more a part of our daily business life, then please check out virtualsapiens.co and I'll put the information in the show notes as well. It is a site well worth checking out. It has some phenomenal resources as well as the ability to take a free Assessment. So, please uh, do your team a favor, do your future customers a favor, and look for ways to improve your communication skills via video. So, without further ado, please welcome Rachel Cossa to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies. To help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. Darren Mitchell here, and welcome to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. All the way from today, Toronto in Canada, Rachel Cosa. How are you, Rachel?
1: I'm good, Darren. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: No, it's a pleasure, absolute pleasure. And we're just talking before we uh, press record, it is summer over there and it's quite warm and it is winter here, but there's also a bit of a time difference. So I'm recording this uh, late at night (laughs) and it's early morning over in Canada. So greatly appreciate you jumping on. And isn't it fantastic that the world of technology, we can actually jump on a call and literally sit eyeball to eyeball having a conversation on opposite sides of the planet and still it feels like we're in the same room. It's amazing
1: yeah it's uh, I'm into it.
0: <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to this conversation as as we kind of talked about before we press record. and for those of you listening who have listened to a number of my podcasts, you know that uh, this could go in any way, shape or form in any direction because uh, it's not necessarily structured, but it's always a good conversation. Um I'm really looking forward to this because Rachel, you've got a really interesting background. And we're going to delve into a little bit of your background, but what you do today in terms of the work you do, particularly around nonverbal communication, which I know in my space, leadership, coaching, facilitation, it is absolutely critical in the work that I do. But also as leaders out there who are listening to this, we've got to be really tuned into our nonverbal cues and how we're communicating messages from a nonverbal point of view. So looking forward to getting into all of that before we do though love to get a little bit of a background of the Rachel story so uh, I know you've you've been a an athlete and a professional ballet dancer which I might actually delve into as well because I think there's some correlations there in relation to messaging uh, but I'd love to know a little bit about your background and specifically what led you to create as the co-founder and CEO virtual sapiens which'll we'll, which we'll talk about today
1: Definitely. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, there are lots of, I always say like when you, when you start with the beginning and go to the present moment, it seems completely unrelated, like professional ballerina, tech AI CEO. I don't know.
0: (laughs) That goes together. But,
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there, there are lots of parallels. And I think growing up, I was always juggling many, different activities at a, at a pretty high level. I was competing internationally on the Canadian team for rhythmic gymnastics. And I was training to become a, like on a professional training track as a ballet dancer. And, you know, there was always a lot of tension and like, you have to pick one, but I was like, no, they're so related that, you know, I, I'm building strengths that are unique to me and give me a competitive advantage. And I continued with that mindset throughout my my dance career where I was doing lots of writing and um, doing lots of work in the fundraising development world because ballet in in North America is very much a patron, uh, patron art, right? So we have donors and it's, it's not very funded Mm -hmm. by the government. I don't know how, what it's like in Australia.
0: Uh, To be honest, uh, I gave up my dancing shoes many years ago, so I wouldn't have a clue.
1: Okay. Well, in in Europe, like it's, it's, it's always government funded, right? So anyways, but I, I was really fascinated by like relationships and conversations with strangers and and, and people at events and, and all that. And uh, I ended up having to retire in 2016. So I danced with Boston Ballet for 10 years, got mm-hmm. very injured, retired. And because I had gotten my degree while I was dancing, um, I entered the workforce immediately. And I I started working at Harvard in a fundraising role and um, I think it it was the stark shift from being on stage, performing, communicating with audiences, you know, not with, not with the use of words, but just Mm -hmm. through physicality and physical expression um, that I was just like picking up on all of these things, like things that like a general lack of physical awareness that people had. And people were always commenting on the way i would walk into a room which i was like well that's i mean it's like so natural to me but actually it's something i'd learned so yeah. Yeah. that that led me to found choreography for business which was more of your traditional in person facilitating workshops all about body language presence and nonverbals and then the pandemic hit and that conversation went online and i felt that there was a challenge and an opportunity in what we were facing on video, I thought, of mm. course, as you said earlier, like this conversation, we've now normalized this global simultaneous conversation. That is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, video is no longer in the back seat; it is front and center as a channel of communication. But then there's this underlying assumption that professionals are comfortable, well versed in how to actually communicate effectively on video, yeah. and we know that that's just not true. So. At that point, you know, I didn't know anything about AI or machine learning, except I had a friend who I would see on Instagram. He'd always be playing around with these little AI demos where like it could recognize a human being. And I was like, well, if you can recognize a human, you can probably, we can probably train it to recognize behaviors we want people to avoid and behaviors that should be encouraged when you're communicating on video.
0: Nice. Nice. Um, What's really interesting about that is the, the, I guess, the background in ballet. And when I read your CV, um, you're so right, and you're actually having to express and tell a story through no verbal communication. And for those of, for those of us who have done research on, you know, communication, the impact of communication, and one of the widely used, I guess, references is from Albert Morabian a lot of the communication that we have is not through the words we speak, but through the physiology that we use. Um, I'm really intrigued when you retired through injuries and, and I've got a few friends who have been ballet dancers and they, they, they do say it's really, really hard on the body. Um, what was the, what was the thing that stood out? Cause you mentioned that all of a sudden you're walking into a room with presence and you're in an environment where it seemed like the lack of awareness was, um, Probable in terms of they just didn't have any idea. Was there some specific thing that um, you learnt from ballet that gave you this intrinsic knowledge that led to creating Virtual Sapiens or was it more of an evolution that over time you thought, you know what, there's something in here that we need to build?
1: Yeah, great question. I think the at its core it's an awareness that you learn as as I learned as a dancer, but that, that I think a lot of performing artists do learn and it's the relationship you develop with the audience. Mm. So you're kind of obsessed with other people's vantage points and what they might be seeing of you and whether or not the way you're showing up is consistent with the message you want to send. Right. So a perfect example would be the nutcracker, right? Nutcracker in the United States is one of the biggest box office opportunities for any major ballet company. We do like 45 shows a run. You're doing two shows a day. You're in every single show. Yeah. And um uh, you're exhausted.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? And so you have to go through a significant amount of kind of mental exercise and prep before you go on stage every day, because you're going out to an audience that has probably either never seen this before, or it's their like annual tradition. And they've spent a lot of money on tickets for the whole family to come and see the show. And you can't schlep out there and be like, this is like my 53rd flower and snowflake, you know, and I'm sick of it. Right. You have to like dig deep and figure out how to authentically come across in a way that's going to really translate that message of awe and excitement and inspiration to your audience it's going to be 100% nonverbal mm. and it, and it could be kind of different from how you might be feeling um and so right so you have to kind of start to really understand intention
0: yeah
1: and the way you can have control over your intention fully from from understanding your audience's perspective and then making sure that the way you're showing up and the way you're expressing is all in alignment with what you want.
0: Yeah. And with that, because as you're talking, I was, I was thinking about workshops that I've done around presenting. Um yeah. and often when people present, if they've if if it's not normal for them, they literally, excuse the French, shit themselves because they've got to go and do a presentation in front of the group. So they're always thinking about are people looking at me and they're not really clear on what that intention is. Mm-hmm. So it's thinking about how do I how do I rehearse, but how do I become the character, but also think about how do I provide a service to my audience to the point where the audience is sitting there and they're getting an experience of authenticity, but almost as if this is the first time I've delivered this, but it might be my 50th time. Right, But I've got to make it about the audience and not about me. Yes. So yes. is that is that what you're talking about in terms of the intention? Because it must be hard at having, having done 45 shows twice a day, you're you like, okay, I know exactly where I got to step. You might be going through the motions and thinking, oh, I wonder what I'm gonna do for dinner tonight. But you 100%. can't afford to do that, right?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean I mean, for sure there are moments where you are like, woo, thinking about like <laughs> you know, your snack after the show. Um, and then you have to get back into it, but yeah, that, that idea of presence and being in the moment can really strengthen that connection and help you as a performer, uh, have it feel fresh because however many times you've done it before each, each moment is unique. Mm. And, um, it's interesting and I, I, don't, I would be curious to hear if you've ever come across this in your facilitations when you're coaching presentation, but oftentimes as soon as you start kind of bringing in these concepts of performance and if performance psychology and preparation, uh, especially when people maybe are not as experienced in presenting and it's a new skill for them to develop, there's a little bit of hesitancy around, you know, well, I'm not a performer, like I'm not an actor. Right, I'm not going to go out there and act, and um, I can only be myself. And like this, I this this um, I think incongruous connection between what authenticity really means and comfort zone.
0: Yes, hundred percent. Um, I've done a lot of programs, and I've gone through programs where I've been taught to facilitate, to present, and. A lot of it, and you might have. I think it's it's a widely used term, theater sports, which is improvisation. So in a group situation, you're thrown a particular situation, and you're taught right on the spot. Don't even think about it. Go into this character and be, be and become that character, and talk about getting out of your comfort zone. It it is such a cathartic experience, but it's a really challenging experience because if you're one of those people, who have to think about. I've got to get this right. I've got to remember what to say. I've got to make sure I've got my body language, or my my hips need to be in the right position. My shoulders have to be positioned correctly. My eyes have to be, and I'm, if I'm thinking about all that, mm. you you lose that level of spontaneity. Mm-hmm. And from a facilitation point of view, one of the things I always share with groups that I take training with is nobody wants you to be the perfect carbon copy of somebody else you're trying to emulate. Mm -hmm. What they want is the perfect version of you. So just be the best you can be. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you're not going to resonate with every single person in the room? Probably, but you don't need to worry about that as long as you can walk off from that particular presentation or walk off that performance knowing that you've given it absolutely everything you've got. Whether they take that or not, you don't have control over that. But Mm -hmm. don't come off thinking that, you know what, I left about 5 or 10% or 50% on the table and i didn't give my all that's not what you want to do right so but most people and i'll be interested in your take on this um with all the work that you do most people are in their head and they're too concerned about saying the right thing or concerned about what people are going to think of them and Mm i'm i'm fascinated with the number of people that get up and do a presentation and all they're thinking about is people are judging me people are looking at me jeez Hope I say the right thing. What if? What if? What if? What I say, they don't agree with. Or what if I? If I forget? What? What if I forget what to say? Mm-hmm. So people are not thinking about you at all. So what's what's your what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I think so. There's something really interesting too that comes with um, the the way we coach people with our AI at Virtual Sapiens is. Um, is actually quite specific down to like specific behaviors that can you know when clustered roll up into different like authority and energy and expression and trustworthiness and all that um so we we contextualize the metrics within these communication themes or or competencies um and what we found which is interesting and i think goes a, a little bit i i don't know where where it where it really falls in relation to your comment but um we get granular so that we can empower people to really understand the specific things they can do to enhance these specific communication goals. Um, but it's in the practice, and I think this is where this is the essential part in developing new skills around anything, is that there will there will always be a little bit of an awkward moment where you try on a new behavior or a new posture or a new way of moving your face. and it and it feels weird. Because it's new, because it's different from the way you've been orienting your body for years, Um, and that's when I think people can quickly be like, "No, that's not me. That feels inauthentic, and I don't like it." And it's like, but change is all about right growing out of your comfort zone a little bit, experiencing that discomfort, and then eventually through practice, having muscle memory. And this is again a parallel with ballet, where you know you're think if you had to think about every single individual part all the time Mm -hmm. it would um the the performance of it would be agonizing to watch but instead you know your body develops muscles around specific movements and at a certain point once you've practiced enough then you don't have to be thinking about you know where am i looking when i'm talking and you know this person lists like this person's talking should i be nodding or should i be doing whatever and and Mm -hmm. and then you can really connect It with confidence with your audience because you know your body and your presence are are taken care of
0: yeah because it's um because we all start somewhere and whether we start at ground zero or some of us might start behind zero we all start somewhere Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not about putting too much pressure on yourself to have to get you know really really great quickly it's making constant progress but also getting feedback which is which is what is great with with virtual sapiens because it gives you that feedback and gives you things to work on and to improve um when you think about the the work that you've done certainly from the ballet perspective um and this is this is a question around i guess time because a lot of people want instant results and if you look Mm. at society today it's almost instant gratification have this now and pay for this later uh how much, how much work did you have to put in before you got to a level of, let's just say, conscious competence to the point where you, you then moved to unconscious competence, where that muscle memory kicked in and you're just in flow? Um, was, that, was that years? And how does that now correlate to the work in relation to helping, I guess, leaders and facilitators and coaches? do the same thing in the presentation, the video space. Cause I'm sure that a mm-hmm. lot of people put too much pressure on themselves to have to be like the fantastic keynote speaker from day zero.
1: Yeah. Oh man. I mean, it's such a journey. And what I noticed as a dancer, which continues to be true now is I would achieve these like moments of flow or periods of flow where like all of this hard work's falling into place and it's coming together and it feels natural and effortless. Um, and I would experience these moments and then, it, you know, and then I would have like a, the next day it would be like, I don't know, I'm either working on something completely new. And so I'm back at ground zero, having to develop those skills again and having to try to get to that state of flow again. And so it's kind of this like up and downhill, hilly mountain of like flow and then a new skill and then, you know, mastery and then flow and then a new skill. And, you know, and so you're constantly humbled. Um and I mean, you know, the interesting thing, this happened when I first transitioned from the ballet and I showed up at Harvard on day one. I mean, I I was like, I'm going to crush this. I'm going to be so amazing. Um, you know, I'm, this is like an entry-level job. I'm such a high-level performer, like la la la. And oh my God, I was so bad. I was so bad at this like desk job because I had, I <laughs> had no skills. I didn't know how to work in Excel. I was just like, what is this cubicle? Like, you know, and it took, oh, it took a while for me to build some flow in a completely new space, you know? And I think yeah. even though, and, and the other interesting thing I think is as a dancer, I was always performing uh, physically and keynotes, like the keynotes that I do now, or the talks that I give now are obviously very verbal. Um, but, uh, even, even that transition took a little bit of, of time to become comfortable with and find, find how I was going to really show up, uh, in a way that reflected and represented, you know, what I, what I wanted to be sharing with the audience.
0: Cause so I was going to say, I'm sure that, uh, making that transition where used to be physically active all the time, oh, yeah. then sitting on a desk. Did you find yourself just having to move and get up every two minutes, not being able well, to sit still?
1: Yeah, I had a standing desk, thank God. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And so I would just, I was just the thing is it's not actually great to stand all day either. Right. No. And so I was standing all day because I would literally refuse to sit. And um and then I started developing all these pains from standing and I was like, okay this is ridiculous. Like I left the ballet so I didn't have to be in physical pain and now I'm having office job pains.
0: (laughs) It wasn't because it had nothing to do with your shoes. You didn't have to wear high heels or were you, was it it just standing and and posture or just not used to standing still for so long?
1: It was like standing still for so long. And, you know, I think in my mind, initially I was like, oh, this is a non-physical job. Like I don't have to do any? I don't have to warm up. I don't have to do all this stuff. So I would. I I actually was not really paying attention to my posture and the way I was standing, and I was kind of sitting into my my bones and my structure. And and that was also a wake up moment where I was like, actually, this is a very physical experience. Yes. You know, in the same way that like this conversation is yeah. a very physical experience. Yeah. Like, it's it's never not.
0: Yeah. Because a lot there's a lot going on other than just the words that are being spoken.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: And so from that, you were talking before about um, making the transition and, and and walking into a room with, with presence uh, based on obviously your training and your physiology and how to communicate a message to an audience. Um, how long before, and was it at Harvard, you actually got a sense of, oh my God, look at all these people. And was it a case of, there's a complete lack of awareness or you felt that your training gave you something that was the catalyst to, Hey, I've I've got something here that we need to actually tap into because people are not getting it.
1: Both. I would say there was definitely a, a lack of awareness in general. I mean, I think across the board in the business world, it is, there is a bias towards content and verbal, verbal cues. Um, and so the, the body, the nonverbal, and even the vocals sometimes take a a significant backseat. And so that Mm -hmm. was what I was noticing was like this world that I'd come from was a hundred percent nonverbal. And then this world that I stepped into thought it was a hundred percent verbal. And I was like, no, no, you guys, you're miss, you're literally leaving so much on the table. And I, I have like so much experience in how to coach people on how to develop awareness and control over their bodies. And so that Mm -hmm. was like that was kind of the thing. I, I did start like the first workshops and programs I did was actually for hospitality, like front of house staff at restaurants.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Um. And so I was working with them. And then actually one of my managers at Harvard, who was a very high level fundraiser, heard that I was doing these classes and she was like, we could actually use that. Like At Harvard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Cause I was going to ask you how much of a, how much of a challenge was it because it must be difficult to see things that others potentially don't see. And how do you make that transition from, well, I can see and I can help you to getting them to recognize that, A, there's a problem because when Mm -hmm. you think about sales, that's what it is. It's problem solving. And, B, it's a problem that I want to solve. So how Mm -hmm. hard was that to try and get some traction, uh, Mm -hmm. even in in places like Harvard, um, because I'm sure there would have been a lot of pushback, particularly from those people who have been conditioned just like we're conditioned physically yeah. that would have been mm-hmm. conditioned mentally that hey it's all the verbal stuff you need you need to think about what to say versus how to say it and how to use your physiology when you say it so what was the what was the challenges like there um
1: so in like by and large in general as soon as i would start talking about these like concepts of physicality and body awareness and like what we communicate through, through nonverbals, it generally resonated with people pretty well. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, once in a while I might get like someone who was just very contrarian and just like always had to have the opposing view. And, um, it's unfortunately one of those things that can like, if you have someone who's, uh, like whose rhetoric is strong enough, like you can be dissolved into a puddle of like, I swear it matters um, but in general, in general, like p- you say something like, you know, think about how you show up when you're excited and happy. And yeah. then think about where you go physically when you are uh, disappointed, you know? And I'm like, are you standing in the middle of the room saying I am so happy and I am so excited or, <laughs> or are, are you like demonstrating that physically? Right, and you can you can do a few of these like pretty small tests, or and and to very quickly show people that even just from a subconscious level, like we pick up on these things instantaneously mm. from a nonverbal perspective. Right, not yeah. everything is actually communicated explicitly through words.
0: That's it. That's it. And people certainly in Australia, people's BS meters are pretty good, so they know if somebody walks into the room and there's a mismatch between the words they're speaking and the physiology they're demonstrating people can pretty quickly work out there's something missing here and there's the feeling they get. They may not necessarily be able to articulate it, but they get a feeling. And so this comes back to trust, particularly as a a leader. And I say to leaders all the time, you've got to be really conscious that the fact is you're being watched like a hawk all the time. And so you have to be really clear on what is the message you want to be portraying and how you walk into a room, even how you go from the car park to the office and how you walk into a coffee shop people are going to be watching. So be really conscious of the messaging you're giving out. And a lot of people are not conscious of that. They're just just going through life thinking that I'm just going to get a coffee and what will be, will be.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, trust, so perceived trustworthiness is one of the categories that we look at at Virtual Sapiens. And a lot of it, as you say, comes from the way you listen to someone and the way you demonstrate that you're paying attention and that that person is seen and heard right and on video what happens a lot is you know you're like okay oh it's my time to talk and uh, you know i'm going to do all these things and i'm going to talk and i'm going to blah 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 and then the other person starts talking and then
0: yeah
1: <laughs> right because you're like we're used to being so passive with these screens right we're not used to watching a movie and being like oh really wow okay yeah no, so, you know, like how, whatever. And so, so like the active listening part and like making sure that your screens are set up such that the person you're looking at is close to the lens. So you're not like, <laughs> That's right. right. Those things again, like little clusters of behaviors like that can either start to help develop trust and rapport, or they can significantly detract. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessarily always from when you're talking,
0: but it's simple things like um, if you're doing a video call, please put your video camera on. Yeah. <laughs> How many cool. times it's just I don't get it. There's so many people that that attend a training, and I've got grammar rules now that um, I don't start a training until everybody has their cameras on because I wanna I wanna see people's eyeballs because I'm paying attention to physiology. I'm even paying attention to sensory sensory acuity because even though you might be a long way away from where I am, I can still see color tones and I can still see expressions and I'm picking up on all those cues because it's such an important thing.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, the video on video off thing is you know, an an unfortunate consequence of the, like some of the trauma and confusion that happened during the pandemic, right? Like people had no choice. Everything had to be on video. There was no, there was a a significant lack of strategy when it came to like, does this even need to be a video call? Mm. Right. And some, some companies have this slapstick approach of like, yes, everything's going to be video when it should have just been like a company-wide update email, you know? And, and so that habit of, of like, oh yeah, I guess I'll just start with my video off. It's just like, you you really, there's like a long way to go from there to like understanding the real benefits of, of showing up as a real human in a way that's like respectful and will make this time, this shared time really worth it.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's um it's such an important thing and i think you know covid has i mean there's been a lot of terrible things because i i live in i live in the most lockdown city on the planet right, being melbourne right, and right. and a lot of people now have a completely different way of working so a lot of people now do a lot more hybrid sort of working uh but it's so it's so important particularly as leaders to still be connected with your team and yes you might now be leading a team that is more widespread in terms of at multiple different locations they're not necessarily in the same place that's why conversations over video is such an important thing and we need to learn how to communicate effectively so that as you said as you showed before and for those of you who who don't have access to this video (laughs) you're looking to your left into a different screen entirely thinking yeah that's where i am but no i'm here so be be as right. if we're sitting opposite each other in a in a boardroom or on a coffee table um right. it's it's such an important thing and i think to have ground rules and particularly as leaders we've got to we've got to use this to our advantage because it's um it's such an important thing when it comes to building trust and building credibility um and it's it just it just it has to happen it just has to happen
1: yeah absolutely and that you touched again on that like be aware of what your audience is experiencing yeah. right you might be experiencing all these people on a two-dimensional screen, but each one of those squares has their own 3D experience. So how can you show up in a way that is, you have good lighting so it's easy for your audience to latch onto your image. You know, you've given yourself enough space from the lens so you can use hand gestures easily without having to be like, hello, up here. <laughs> you know, like you're looking into the lens in a way that's um, effective but not creepy. Like there's there's so so much you can do to enhance these video moments and, and have real influence and impact.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the work you do in relation to all of this, and, and I know you work a lot in the leadership space and the sales space. Tell me a little bit about that in terms of um, what are you seeing in terms of either improvements in in terms of I don't know, whether it be technology or what are some things that um, you're finding in the marketplace, particularly in North America, that, I mean, leaders are really grabbing? Um, and what sort of challenges? Because I was going to ask you what you're finding to be some of the, I guess, the key challenges for leaders in particular today, particularly those leaders who do have those disparate teams that they have to deal with on a, on a regular basis. Are there, are there some common challenges that you're coming up against on a regular basis that we that we can delve into?
1: Definitely. I think at the base, one of the biggest challenges that seems to still be felt kind of across the board is this constantly evolving. What's considered best for everyone? You know, should we be hybrid? If so, how many days, which days should we be fully remote? And then have like on sites regularly where people come together for like collaborative, facilitated, you know, relationship building opportunities. That that is still a question that's being played out, and I think when you look at sales in particular, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Because what the sellers want is actually somewhat irrelevant, because they should always be thinking about where they can meet their buyers. And what we're seeing from buyers, by and large, is that they they do prefer the convenience of a video call. Like they don't want to be taking time out of their day for that. Like necessarily one hour long in person meeting, um, and and then companies you know are, are pleased to hear that because then they can save on business travel costs and Absolutely. you stack know, you your day with all these meetings and and all that. So so th- there's a lot going on in that because even if you call people into the office, right? If you're like, no, you know what? I want the bubbler, like I want the hallway serendipity. You know, I want people talking about their cats or whatever it is that people <laughs> actually talk about. You know, it's not like there are these epiphany ideas happening in hallways and by the water cooler every day. Um, I think that's become a little romanticized. But either way, if you're like, it's going to be in person, the office has become a place where video meetings happen. Mm. Because the buyers, that's where the buyers are. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's, I think I think there's still a lack of, whether it's resource or, or, or mindshare that goes into like, okay, how are we going to distinguish our sellers and our company and our product and our service from our competitors when what we have to work with is, is all digital. The mm-hmm. way we show up is digital. The way the material and content that our buyers and community interacts with is digital. Yeah. So like, there, they're, and I think I, I believe obviously that the way the humans show up is one of the most powerful things, whether you're in person or whether you're virtual. And yeah. so, you know, that's that's one thing that I think some companies are starting to really get it. Um, but if, of course, there's still just so much confusion around like, oh, but should we be hybrid and should we be remote and should we be that it kind of takes a backseat.
0: Well, what about all those and all those companies who have this fixation with, hey, we have a product that we have to demonstrate and it's a physical mm-hmm. product. So we have to be at a mm-hmm. physical location. Um, I was just reflecting as you were talking about the, I guess, the hybrid versus virtual sort of world back in, and this is going back a little while back in November, I had a face to face meeting that, and I live about an hour North of Melbourne. So uh, I had a a, a two o'clock meeting and I left home at, I think 11 o'clock got home at five o'clock. So for a one hour meeting, it was literally from 11 AM to 5 PM for one hour. Yeah. And I'm driving home and I'm thinking, this is such an inefficient use of my time. It was a great meeting. I got to meet some great people, which was fantastic. But I'm thinking, if we could do the same thing and create the same experience in a virtual world and mm-hmm. still get the same outcome, then I've probably saved three or four hours in my day to go and do other things.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So there has to be there has to be some sort of return on investment for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm and I'm intrigued in terms of you, if you've done any work in exploring this for for certainly for leaders and sellers because I know a lot more sales teams are spending a lot more time in the virtual world, which means they have to work on their leadership presence, which I love to talk about as well, and their influencing mm-hmm. skills, not just, "Hey, I've got this fantastic product and these are the features would you like to buy it?"
1: Right. Right. Well, I mean, and in that case, it comes down to the the core of that relationship and the rapport and the fact that at the end of the day, like you can show someone the same product two different times and it'll be the person that they like or trust or respect more that they're going to buy from. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, that's critical. Um, Cause you think about it in like the interview world as well. Like if you're interviewing for A new job, which many people are these days. Those interviews are virtual. So many people are showing up with almost replicas of the same background of experience, right? And you have to somehow show up and within that first few moments catch their attention and then throughout it hold it. And you know you're not going to really get you're not going to pop if your lighting is wrong, if you are demonstrating like poor framing, and if you're not leveraging these nonverbals in a way that's effective and aligned with whatever impression it is that you want to be sending.
0: Yeah. It's such an, it's such an important thing. I think that we can take a little bit of that for granted because we think, I oh, will just jump on a call and have a conversation mm-hmm. and coming back to like the presentation skills, how many people focus all of their attention on working out what to say versus mm-hmm. thinking about what impression do I want to create? How do I want to make the, the person feel or the audience feel as a result of the conversation with me? So I always talk about this concept of leaving them with an impression of increase that they feel better having had the conversation with me, not because okay. they feel better about me, but they it's memorable because there's this feeling that sometimes they can't put their finger on it, but they feel better having had that conversation. And if I can mm-hmm. do that, then I've mm-hmm. left a left an impression which could be the difference that makes the difference between them taking you know the conversation one step further or buying a service, buying a product, whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. Um, Love, love to talk. Use use that as a bit of a segue because I know a lot of the work you do is in leadership presence, um, facilitation. Uh, love to talk a little bit about that in terms of what are some of the things that I guess for people listening to this who are who are looking to, I guess increase their, you know, gravitas, if you like in the in the virtual space. What are some what are some things we can we can work on or we can be aware of that can help increase our presence, particularly from a leadership perspective, because people listening to this are going to be either aspiring leaders or leaders of teams that have been around for a while and looking to increase their influence. So there there are some specific areas that you like to focus on in relation to that.
1: You said something earlier that I think is really important for leaders to always keep in mind. And it's, it's this kind of constantly on display, um, reality of leadership. And when you are showing up on video there, the way that that plays out is from the moment you show up to the meeting, the way you show up, the way you kind of engage and interact and pull people in and, and kind of move through that virtual experience. um, a lot of that is being picked up in the non-said right? So whereas in person, you might say like the way you walk into the room, the way you make eye contact with people, shake people's hands, whatever, that is so much of, that's setting the tone for your leadership in the way that you welcome other people, you know, or do you just like stride into the room and walk right up to the podium and like, you know, what is your leadership style? Um, On video, the first impression is set by the way that you've taken time to arrange your your physical space so that you can be very present so that where your audience is is aligned with your lens uh your lighting is like evenly distributed it's it's you're well lit you're not in like a dark closet you know people can easily see your facial expressions and again your framing is such that you can have an open and upright posture and very easily gesture gesture subtly with a hand you know it's not like we have to be like dancing around like You know, Muppets or whatever uh, be effective with hand gestures, you know, but like, oh, Darren, like, you know, so great to see you. Would love to hear about your day. Like, one simple hand gesture can really go a long way. Um, So, in, in that sense, I like to think of video moments as, you know, you have this, you have the luxury of a well defined playground. Yeah. We know what our audience sees. And they're going to their vantage point is your lens, mm. and so anything you can do to enhance their experience of you within the vantage point of that lens is going to be very powerful, right? What you decide to put in your background, um,
0: the the great <laughs> as well. My background is authentic. You
1: read so many books. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, honestly, I would. I, I virtual virtual backgrounds i think i they're just not my favorite i mean the technology is just not really sophisticated enough to deal with Because if you're
0: somebody uses your hands or if you're yeah, somebody that holds up a piece of paper it disappears yeah. and sometimes yeah. if you move your head you disappear
1: yeah it's there are so many i'm like you're really not helping yourself out um it's just it's it always is worth it to just put a little bit of effort into your background um but yeah, I mean, I, I you know on video you have to communicate a little more emphatically. You have to pause more. If you're asking a question, you have to give people an opportunity to reflect on what you've just asked, to
0: mm-hmm. come off
1: of mute, to type their answer in the chat, whatever it is that you know, whatever channel to respond they have. I think a lot of times people are very, uh, they, you know they want to at all costs avoid that awkward moment of silence. You know, and I'm like, it's okay. Like, you asked a question. Sit in silence for seven seconds. Someone will talk.
0: (laughs) That's it. Somebody will will not be able to resist the temptation.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's there's there's. I think there's a ton, and I'm sure you would agree. As a facilitator, virtually, there's so much at our disposal. There are so many opportunities. You know, you can connect with hundreds of people. as so you're talking to each person individually because you have one lens and it is the shared vantage point of every single person in your audience. Like that is really powerful.
0: It is. The only challenge with that is I've got a limit of about 20 before I start to lose people. And then if I share stuff as well, I only have a, certainly on zoom, I only have a certain tile that yeah. I can see about five or six different people. But I totally agree, and this is why one of the ground rules I've always got, and I say this to all my clients, is you've got to have ground rules where video is always on.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: totally. Because you've almost got to treat it as if we're sitting in a classroom, we're sitting in a boardroom, we're sitting in a training facility, we're sitting somewhere physically, even though we're we're in the virtual world, I still want to be able to see people's eyeballs because I can still build eye contact with people in a virtual world.
1: Right. And as a leader, if you're constantly showing up and really respecting the channel and showing people like how effective it can be, people will start to mirror that very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And so it's, it's like set the tone, set the scene, make the, the expectations clear as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah
0: hundred percent. So let's talk a little bit about virtual sapiens and the, I guess the use of artificial intelligence. Cause I know that um, people who are interested in knowing a little bit more, I'll, I'll get them to um, reach out to you as well. Um, What's, what's the, what's the, and I I must admit full disclosure, I've started to do the Mm -hmm. assessment. I haven't quite got to the, uh, the baseline yet, but I'm going to, I'm looking forward to, to doing that. Um, as a leader sitting here listening to this, what can Virtual Sapiens assist them with in terms of uh, improving that leadership presence, if you like, certainly in the virtual world?
1: Mm-hmm. Virtual Sapiens uh, for for the audience uses AI to provide feedback on some of these nonverbals that we've been discussing, right? And we have two different tools through which you can do that. One of the most popular tools is the assessment, Darren, that you mentioned, which is a very quick, fun and engaging way to get some very comprehensive feedback on the way you're showing up and the way you may be being perceived yeah. on video specifically. Right. So as I mentioned earlier, we have a whole breakdown of metrics and behaviors that we look at. So we'll look at things like body posture, facial expression, variation, eye gaze, direction, uh, active listening cues, hand gestures. We do also, you know, we'll, 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 count your filler words and give you insights on that. We'll look at your speech speed and vocal intonation. Um, and then, so, so our AI is running in real time. The assessment takes place in like a video-based Q&A simulation, right? It's It's all happening in real time. And then you get your results after the fact. And for anyone, any leader who has a team of professionals who are leveraging video to communicate internally, to internal stakeholders or to external clients and stakeholders, a tool like the assessment allows you to ensure that every single person on your team gets the personal feedback they need so that they can develop that awareness and make those choices yeah. that are going to support that, that video-based conversation more effectively.
0: Wow. I'm using that seven seconds of silence now. Cause I'm just thinking about that. <laughs> Powerful. Well, it is. And I'm and I'm just thinking about the applications for that because uh hey, let's be honest, a lot of people don't necessarily like like feedback, particularly if you're placed in an environment where you've got to do like a presentation and you're getting feedback on on all things, not so much the content, but how you how you speak, the speed and all the things you've you've spoken about. But it's actually priceless feedback because it can help you improve the way you um create an impression and and build a reputation uh certainly in the video in the video space and if you think about as we've already talked about a lot more business is now being done virtual a lot of discovery calls a lot of sales calls and and i've got to be honest there's a lot of clients that i work with that i've never actually met personally so (laughs) it's it's and and the only the only way of communicating is this way right so uh it's it's such an important tool such an important tool
1: yeah and and, um this type of feedback is pretty hard to give and to receive right like like you said it, it can be hard to receive feedback on such personal things right um getting feedback on your facial expressions or the way you look during a meeting is hard a lot of managers either you know don't have the language to deliver that feedback in a way that's going to be tactful and will land. And they certainly don't want to have to be repeating themselves over Mm -hmm. and over again, because at the end of the day, we're talking about a habit that's ingrained that has to be rewired. And so this technology is, is, you know we always provide our teams with unlimited access to assessments. So you can take as many assessments as you want. You can use it as a very private, safe practice zone. Like no one sees your recordings, you know, we, it, it's fully private to you and and it's an opportunity to um, experiment a little bit and get like immediate feedback from a very objective source. Yeah. Um, which, which our users have, have really liked.
0: Is it your voice?
1: Yeah. Well, my voice, it's me. <laughs> a lot of the virtual sapiens is me, but um, it's uh all the feedback's all just digital, you know, visual. But the assessment, as you may, I can't remember how far in that you got, but it's a pre recorded version of me that's okay. asking you the questions.
0: Yeah. Nice. Nice. And does it give you then, because it's good to get feedback, does it then give mm-hmm. you tips on what to do and what to work on? Yes. Yeah. Because one of the things I, I think a lot of people struggle with is particularly when it comes to whether it be pitching an idea, trying to get, um, uh, an idea or, a, or, a, or some sort of decision made, certainly as a leader, I can try and implement too many things at once. Mm-hmm. So it does it give you certain things to start to work on? So you can actually start to build the muscle around that, as we talked about before, to the point where we do get to that level of muscle memory, where it's where it kicks in as a, as a new habit.
1: Yes. Yeah, so we have a whole learning lab of videos and content that will direct you to depending on, you know, what, um, areas of improvement you have yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, everyone has a slightly different experience as they go through the assessment because the way they show up is going to be yeah. obviously unique to them.
0: Yeah. And look, this might sound like a, a, a really ignorant question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> Based on your experience, is there like a common, is there a common, not so much a flaw, but a common area that, uh, most people can get a quick win in when it comes to using video. That that you've picked up since since working in this space.
1: There are a couple. Um, your the way you show up in your frame is one of the most important things virtually because if you're um, so I always hide myself. You but if I like if I'm showing up like this, <laughs> right? we see all the time. And this is a perfect example of like, oh yeah, I'm on, you can see me, right? I'm on, you can see me. Okay, good. That's good enough. Instead of like, I can use all my like hand gestures and you're not going to see anything. You can't see my body posture. Like you do not see anything. I've completely diminished my authority. By I the can way. see a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've become this like tiny little Head, whereas I could take up so much, like I could command my full space, right? Yes. So, um, your framing establishes that like power dynamic, and you can either show up as a real authority with commanding presence, someone who it's easy for everyone else on the call to to look at. You can get more eye share, or yeah. or you can kind of be like, it doesn't matter, just so long as you know people know I'm there. It's fine.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that, I mean, and, but it's such it's such an easy thing. It's such a simple thing. I had I had a workshop yeah. today, and one of the participants, when they put their camera on, all I saw is from their shoulder down. Amazing. <laughs> and I had to say, "Hey, is there any way you can tilt your camera? Because I can't see your face."
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I've I've seen that happen once, and I was just shocked. Was like, How do you think that that's okay? <laughs> Like, what are you seeing? Are you seeing something else? That's amazing.
0: <laughs> but they're just, a, they're, and they're probably not even giving it a thought. They're thinking, oh, I'm just going to jump on video because they're not here to see me. They're here to hear what I've got to say. <laughs> so right, it doesn't right. really matter. But what we know is the communication is, is most of which is not going to be through the words you say. So yeah. we've got to make sure that we're really clear on the message we want to give and stack all the odds in our favor. So that the message has the opportunity to resonate and to land with the intention we want to give it to. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And you want to help your audience out by reducing the amount of mental energy they have to spend trying to figure out what you're doing.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. That's why having uh, showing up in such a way that you can easily you know, include even just like the tips of your fingers is helpful. Mm. Um, Making sure that you're oriented towards the screen and the lens, because as soon as you start doing these other things, the person on the other end is like, I mean, I can't really tell, like, am I just on a different screen or are they checking in on the game? Um, And all of a sudden you've lost your audience's attention because they're just curious about what you might be doing because it's incongruent with, you know, direct conversation.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good point. And as you said that, you see just behind me is a flip chart. Mm-hmm. And I'd love I'd love your thoughts on this. Uh, that's that's there as just a backdrop. It's not mm-hmm. there that for me to use. And I'm curious in terms of whether people that you work with use sort of props like that, as if particularly when it comes to facilitation, because my view mm-hmm. is it's pretty hard to see when I'm writing on a on a on a flip, but how much of the I guess the Um, the credibility to be lose when we're trying to use a prop like that in, in a facilitation or in a meeting. So you just think of a normal sales meeting or a normal business meeting where you're not using PowerPoint and using like a lot of people do, they'll use whiteboards and things like that. Um, How difficult is that to try and convey the, I guess, the intention or should we avoid that?
1: I have seen it done really, really well. Uh, When people are using multiple cameras and multiple camera views, um, I have, there's a facilitator I know who has just really gotten creative with how they are like, okay, we're going to go over here. And like the whole screen will change from watching him to like the sheet of paper that he's writing on. And it's like, it's super smooth. He's, He's gotten it down to a fine art and it works really well. And I personally love switching things up. Um, you know, the more dynamic and engaging uh, the visuals are, the more easily you'll maintain people's engagement and attention, right? Because our brains are constantly um, searching for new pieces of information. Something's changed. What happened? What is that? Oh, interesting, right? So you can kind of keep people engaged by changing things up. Um, But to your point, it can also be done in a way that's not conducive to really anything. So I think it just depends on like how, where can you place it? How can you work with the lens and your camera so that Mm -hmm. you're still maintaining that connection? Um, You know, I I love the dynamic quality of leveraging props and 3D components of your experience. I also think it's completely fine to have like a note-taking, you know, screen sharing annotation device where we're multiple people can participate. Cause that's the one challenge with doing something in your own physical environment is that no one can participate. People can only look.
0: Yeah. 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 No, I get that. I get that. Interesting. So look, as we, uh, as we wrap up, I can't believe we've been talking for nearly an hour, Um, but as, as we wrap up for people who are listening to this, uh, whether it be leaders or people wanting to extend their, I guess their influence and improve their presence, and therefore their influence. What are what are some last thoughts that you might have in terms of, I don't know, the, um, the tidbits according to Rachel?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in general, some of the core takeaways here are take a moment to really think about what your audience is experiencing on video. Then take a moment to determine what your intention is in that moment, knowing that it could be different from one meeting to the next, right? Um, Know that the way you show up and the way you communicate is happening constantly from a nonverbal perspective, right? Like, yes, of course, your words matter a lot. Yeah. But you are constantly, whether you're a listener or taking a moment to pause, constantly sending a message through your nonverbals, right? Yeah. And then when you're talking, your message will be either enhanced or detracted from based on how you show up with your nonverbals. So, I mean, I, of course we have a free trial version of the assessment would definitely recommend anyone who's interested to go check that out. Um, And uh, yeah, those would be my, my tidbits.
0: Nice. So if people would like to stress test that, where's the best place for, for them to get that information, but also if people are interested in connecting with you and learning a little bit more about what you do. Uh, where's the best place for them to connect with you, Rachel?
1: Yeah, uh, virtualsapiens.co, so C-O, not .com. Um, You'll find the uh, free trial of the assessment very clearly showcased um, on the website. And then anyone can reach out to me directly, either on LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I post articles and videos and stuff on a weekly cadence. So that can sometimes be you know, nice thought leadership to follow, um, and then it's just Rachel at virtualsapiens.co if anyone wants to reach out directly.
0: Nice, awesome, brilliant. I'll put those in the show notes, and um, I'll encourage people to give it a crack, as I will be doing. I'll complete my assessment and see where I'm where I'm where I'm doing well and where I need to improve, which I'm I'm looking forward to. Always looking to improve. Awesome.
1: Wonderful, awesome. Well, Darren, it's been a total pleasure. I you know really enjoyed the conversation.
0: That's been fantastic, and once again, thanks for uh, thanks for joining from all the way in Toronto. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the rest of your day, as it as uh, as it is the back end of my day. So, um, Rachel, great great talking to you, and I'm sure we'll be able to do this again sometime.
1: Sounds great, Darren. Thanks.
0: All the best. Thank you. Bye.